0: No one's better than me. Yeah. yeah, let's go. Blow. Up. Yeah. Welcome everybody to the Monday, May eighteenth edition of Locked On Dolphins, brought to you by Built Bar. I'm your host, Kyle Krabs. I hope you guys are ready to rumble today. We're going to talk about some forward-minded thinking as it pertains to the Miami Dolphins, uh, one of their key defenders, getting him under contract beyond the 2020 season. And we're also going to look back to the past, because I think it's an interesting foil to compare where the Dolphins were versus where the Dolphins are. First and foremost, uh, the NFL has given clearance for teams to return to team facilities under the stipulation that if your state regulations allow for that to be the case, the Miami Dolphins in Florida are one of what's estimated to be, I think, 22 teams across the 32-team league uh, that is eligible to return to the team facilities tomorrow don't get too excited though, has to be under 75 people, cannot be coaches, and the only players eligible to return to the building are those who are undergoing therapy for prior injuries. But it's a step in the right direction. How much traction that is supposed to get, we will find out. Uh, Roger Goodell, commissioner in the NFL, sent a memo out last week uh, stating his expectation was uh, in the near future, coaches will be greenlit to return to team facilities and the Dolphins uh, are not among the teams that are still going to be locked out through tomorrow. But this whole COVID-19 pandemic and health crisis it's 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 sad and it's a mess Um, but as the league tries to forge forward with as much business as usual as possible one of the inevitable side topics as it pertains to the NFL has come out of potential revenue loss for the league in 2020 say hypothetically the league gets to a place where they can play the games but Local health crises seem to be a a restrictor that allows fans from coming into the stands. And and we saw, you know, there's a golf event this past weekend. USC's been back for a few weeks. Uh, NASCAR was back yesterday uh, without fans in the arenas. So with with four months or so of runway to continue to align everything as, as effectively as possible to protect as many people as possible, Obviously, the league's hope is, you know, we'll play the games. Whether or not fans are there is a different story. If the league plays without fans, it will inevitably impact all of the 32 teams in 2021 in the form of the revenue sharing that's been set up for the NFL. And one byproduct of that that has been discussed is the potential to uh, reduce the salary cap in 2021, which is a very slippery slope. Uh as far as some teams and how they've built and allocated their uh, their cash and spending. And, and there was some strategy where, you know, depending on this entering into a new uh, collective bargaining agreement, some teams had, you know, gross amounts of high guarantees money in 2021, anticipating it being the other way. Obviously, a global pandemic was something no one had on their radar when they were signing and strategizing their their futures caps. But the Dolphins uh, would be a team that would seemingly not be grossly impacted by a reduction in salary cap. You know, if there is a loss in revenue and the teams must reduce the the salary cap spending on account of lost revenue share by ticket sales and whatever other impacts there will be. Uh, The Dolphins are not a team that's tied into an inabsorbable amount of cap space at their disposal. Miami will have 50, is scheduled to have, there's plenty that'll change, I'm sure, 55 players under contract and just three players that I would earmark as priority free agents to be. And of those 55 players, with those three players to be signed, and we'll say who they are in a moment, uh, projected to have $57.5 million in cap space if the salary cap is not negatively impacted. So you would have to see the NFL cut the salary cap by $60 million to put the Dolphins in a squeeze. Even $40 million, the Dolphins could absorb it with their draft picks, retaining their key talents, and then from there it becomes a question of, okay, well if they cut the salary cap by $40 million, hypothetically, it's a hypothetical number, I have no context on what that number might actually be, but if they cut the cap next year by $40 million, what does that do to the free agent market as a whole? do we see all major free agent players are going to play on a one-year deal for as much money as they can possibly find, re-hit the market again the following year when the Caps assumedly bounces back and goes back up not just whatever they cut, but then an additional probably 8 to $10 million dollars to account for growth, as we've seen over the course of the last several years of the NFL. Or do we see teams signing long-term contracts and and knowing up front, okay, we can't give you the guaranteed money, we can't give you the big money in year one, but we're going to give you tons of guaranteed money in year two and year three. Regardless, the Dolphins will be a team that is well aligned to attack either one of those positions, because as I said, they only have three key free agents that they would need to sign. And even one of them plays a disposable position in the running back position. Matt Breida, who the Dolphins traded a fifth-round pick for, ideally we like we'd all love to see Breida and his explosiveness really take off here in Miami. He stays healthy, he signs a deal, we're set at running back hypothetically, right? But you know Breida is on a three point four million dollar restricted free agent tender. It's a one-year deal. He has had some durability questions in the past. The Dolphins might say, okay, you know, we needed another running back to compliment Jordan Howard, and for a fifth-round pick, this was about as good as we were going to find. But we don't want to you know, overpay you to bring it back. If he has durability issues, they might not want to bring him back. Breed has all the potential in the world, but inevitably he's a free agent next year. He plays the running back position, which is a devalued position. He's going to be splitting carries at best with Jordan Howard, unless Jordan Howard gets hurt. Hard to imagine the Dolphins will have a hard time finding the money to pay him if they want to pay him. But the question is, will they want to pay him? Well, we need to see the 2020 season play out first. The other two are members of the Dolphins' 2017 NFL Draft Class. Devon Godshall being one, Rayquan McMillan the other. Chow is an interesting study for me, uh, primarily because he does not bring a lot of heat in the pass rush department, but he's really reliable. He's everything the Dolphins want in a defender. He's everything the Dolphins want in a person in their locker room. And he, much like Matt Breida, because he doesn't rush the passer with high success, He's not a player that's going to command a ton of money. So, you know, we talked about the Dolphins having $57.5 million in cap space projected if the cap does not change, right? If the cap does change, it'll be less than that. But neither Breeda or Devon Godshall feel like big money signings that are going to stress the Dolphins' ability to have room under their cap for their rookies and have room to retain both of these players if they want to. Raquan McMillan, on the other hand, is the one who can make a case for a pretty substantial amount of money. The catch is Raekwon McMillan is more valuable to the Dolphins in a very specific role that will use him in less snaps and thus afford him less production than he would in many other then he would be in value in many other places, and I'll explain what I mean by that, but first I have to talk to you guys about Built Bar, our sponsor for the show, and these protein bars are a life-changing experience. I am blowing these things up on the podcast, but like rest assured, this is not just shameless promotion. I am legitimately hooked on Built Bar, Got my first sample box at the beginning of the month. I think I put in three orders since. I just got a big order over the weekend. Uh, Black cherry, raspberry, cookie dough, mint brownie, and there's about half the flavors they have. I haven't even had the chance to try yet. But these things, they eat like candy bars. Their nutrition is some kind of amazing life hack that I, I would love to know the secret to. 110 to 150 calories a piece. One-seventh the grams of carbs and sugar of a typical protein bar. More protein than your average protein bar. These things are awesome for post-workout, meal replacement, snacks around the house. You name it. They're delicious. And we have a very special offer for you as listeners of Locked On Dolphins. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON and save $10 off your first box of Built Bar. I would highly encourage you guys find out what all the fuss is about, get yourself a box at builtbar.com. Promo code locked on saves you $10 off your first box.
1: If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason... If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: Resigning Raquan McMillan will not be a problem for the Dolphins, regardless of whether or not there is cap implications and changes or not. Ultimately, the team's the end of the day, the teams that need to be worried about like a reduced cap and what implications that could bring uh, for the salary cap, teams like the Philadelphia Eagles. You know, the, the Dolphins have under $9 million in roster bonuses, player options, workout bonuses, and they don't have any contract restructures on their books, which is deferred guaranteed money for past years, aka the Mike Tannenbaum special, right? They have none of that. All of those things combined under $9 million in in cash, guarantees, and commitments against the cap in 2020, 2021. Philadelphia Eagles, $13.6 million in roster bonuses, $17.6 million in contract options, $1.6 million in workout bonuses, and $20.5 million in deferred guarantees via contract restructures. The Philadelphia Eagles are looking at over $50 million in guaranteed money on their contract books for the 2021 season that is guaranteed money and 40% of that is already deferred guarantees from prior contracts that have already been restructured once. That's going to be difficult to manipulate. The Pittsburgh Steelers have $45 million between roster bonuses and deferred guarantees and restructured contracts. Those are the teams that that are going to feel the squeeze and be backed up into a corner here because they've got high volumes of guarantees and guaranteed cash, which is that year's cap commitments, on their books because they've deferred it from years past. Dolphins under $9 million in total guaranteed bonuses on the books as of right now for 2021. They could take that in stride. So signing Raekwon McMillan will not be a problem. The question is, what do you value Rayquan McMillan as? Because Raquan McMillan was and has been a stalwart in between the tackles against the run for two consecutive seasons now. His last half of 2018 against the run was excellent. His entire 2019 against the run was excellent. The problem is he's excellent against the run and he's not effective at all against the pass. Well, this is a tale of two coaches here. Adam Gase implemented Raquan McMillan on over 800 defensive snaps. I believe it ended up being over 80% of the snaps he played last se- in 2018 under head coach Adam Gase. Well... In 2019, under Brian Flores, Raquan McMillan played 46% of the snaps. It was like 550 snaps on defense or something like that. He played more on special teams too, but just defensive snaps. He lost more than 20% of the team's defensive snaps. And it wasn't because he was hurt. It was because the Dolphins had to put Raquan in a position to best be successful. And by doing that, they asked themselves, where is he best? What role can he fill? And when we get into down and distance situations that get him out of that role, we have to get him out of the game. That's what they did. Rayquan McMillan still allowed a passer rating and targets against him in 2019 of over 100. But instead of being targeted almost 50 times like he was in 2018 under Adam Gase, I think he was targeted 12 times in coverage in 2019. So that's why the snap count went down, right? Now, here's your numbers. He was targeted 40 times in 2018, gave up 32 completions for 374 yards and six touchdowns. Opposing quarterbacks almost had a perfect passer rating attacking Raekwon McMillan in coverage in 2018. 12 targets in 2019 gave up the same percentage of completion percentage but only gave up 104 yards and did not give up a touchdown, pass rating of 102, because the Dolphins got him off the field. 831 snaps, which was 76% in 2018, versus 515 snaps, 46% in 2019. The Dolphins have a player in Raquan McMillan, who if they let him play 100% of the snaps, like the Green Bay Packers did with Blake Martinez... He challenged the league in total tackles. He might lead the league in total tackles. Blake Martinez has 299 total tackles in the last two years combined. But Blake Martinez, he's played 99% of the snaps in each of the last two years. While he has 299 total tackles, he's been targeted 135 times, given up over nearly 1,000 yards, 980 yards, and 7 touchdowns, with an opposing quarterback rating of somewhere around 115-120 in the last two years combined. Would you rather have a guy that's got 150 tackles, but gives up 500 receiving yards and four touchdowns, or would you rather have a guy who plays significantly less snaps, does what he's good at, and is not on the field for what he's not good at? Mind you, Blake Martinez got a three-year $30 million contract with $19 million in guarantees. That's the conflict for Raquan McMillan. If Raquan McMillan is wired the way that I think he is, and if Raquan McMillan is wired the way that the Dolphins are going to covet their football players to be, his personal accolades and personal statistics are going to be secondary to winning football games. And winning football games for Raquan McMillan means you are going to be our freaking stud on the rundowns. But in passing situations, you're probably not going to be on the field. And as Raekwon McMillan approaches free agency, that understanding has to be there for all parties involved that Raekwon McMillan's value is higher to us because we can use him in a way that's going to make the most of his opportunities. If he went somewhere else, his statistics would be higher his concessions in the pass game would also be higher, but a team would be willing to pay $10 million a year for a guy who's going to lead the league in tackles every year. Blake Martinez got three years, $30 million. I could tell you right now the Dolphins in their offers and negotiations with Rayquan McMillan are not going to be offering him a Blake Martinez contract. The Dolphins would be wise to point to that of Dante Hightower. He signed his contract in 2017. It was approximately $8.5 million per season. But when Donta Hightower was healthy, he was playing closer to 70% of the snaps every season. If Raquan McMillan is going to float around 50, 55, and he can't seem to get himself around in pass coverage at all and bring any value there, so they're just going to keep him off the field altogether, that's fine. His rundown, his rundown value is elite. His pass value is is at a point where it's probably going to you know, keep him off the field, keep his tackle and total production numbers down, cost him money if he were to hit the open market, but because he's more valuable to the Dolphins than anybody else, like they should be willing to play ball with Raekwon and make him a, a reasonable offer. If I'm negotiating with Raekwon, I'm shooting to get him for, for seven, seven and a half per season. That sounds high. I understand that. But when you take into consideration cap distribution the continued growth rate of the cap and where this league 2021 aside with the loss of revenue sharing is going to be going as far as what they're allowing their teams to spend for players. Raekwon in two years to be an elite run defender for 7 million is a good value. That's something we should all be excited for the possibility for. If the dolphins got Raekwon McMillan on the books, for $7 million a year, annual average salary, be tied for 19th highest salary amongst traditional inside linebackers in the NFL with Nick Kwiatkowski, who just signed a free agent deal with the, the Raiders. If he wanted a top 15 salary, $7.5 million puts you tied with Avery
1: Williamson. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.
0: $8 million to Mario Davis. So, I mean, you you think about the players who are in this strike zone. A.J. Klein's getting six from the Buffalo Bills. That's the discount rate, in my opinion. Denzel Mer- Perryman's five and a half. So, this is something the Dolphins are going to have to keep a, an eye on uh, as far as I think he is their most important player coming into the 2020 season as a pending expiring contract. I would love to see them get a deal done. But it's, it's difficult to project what that value is going to be because Raekwon's going to say, well, if you play me more, I'd be higher production, and these are what guys with higher production are able to do and what they're able to command. And Miami's going to say, yes, but you're more valuable to us, ironically enough, by being on the field less because of the specialization that, that we allow. And here's an example of a team who's done that in the past with Dante Hightower, and he played 70% of the snaps and got $8.5 per. So let's use that as our baseline. If you can get that snap count up and we feel good about where you're at, then let's talk that number. If we fall short of that snap count a little bit, okay, then let's pair back down. Let's come seven and a half, seven and work in that range. Will be a fun storyline to watch. What it was not fun to do, however, for Dolphins wire, I went through the the past since the turn of the millennium, the Dolphins' best selections in the first round. I pulled the top six names. It's like Jake Long, Pouncey, Tannehill, Ronnie Brown, Devontae Parker, Larry McTonsel. We don't know enough about Tua yet. Nobody freak out that he didn't make the list. He hasn't played a snap yet. Christian Wilkins, let's let him get there first. These other guys have had some some better production, but Wilkins has a chance to push up this list. If Devontae Parker balls out, he's going to pass a number of the guys on this list because he's doing it for the Dolphins. But I went back to 2000. And as I'm looking at the the early 2000s Dolphins drafts, and the the late 1990s Dolphins drafts, because that information was just kind of laid out there in front of me, my God, are the first rounds depressing. (laughs) The Dolphins in 97 and 98, outside of the first round, mind you, completely outside of the first round, got Sertain, Sam Madison, Jason Taylor. It's a nice little stretch. Those were all day two picks. Sam Madison and Jason Taylor, Taylor in the second and third round of the same draft. Pat Sertain in the second round of the 98 draft. But from the years 97 to 2003, this team made three first-round selections. So 97, 98, 99, 2000, 2001, 2002, 2003. Seven years worth of NFL drafts. And the Dolphins made three first-round selections. Those first-round selections were wide receiver Yatil Green, who locked 18 career receptions, Didn't play for his first two years because he blew his leg out. Running back John Avery in 1998, who started zero career games in his entire NFL career, was traded out of Miami after 17 games and 500 yards, averaged 3.7 yards per touch, and had more career fumbles than he did touchdowns. And Jamar Fletcher. That's it. That is the Dolphins' first round draft haul from 97 to 2003. Think about that. Think about going that stretch of time. Now, granted, they traded for Ricky Williams in this stretch as well, and that was where two of their first round picks went. Imagine in today's day and age trading. A first-round pick, swapping fourth-round picks, and trading a conditional pick in next year's draft that starts as a third, but could go all the way up to a first, and it does for a running back. Times were different. I get it. But the Dolphins, over seven years, three players in the first round. You look at teams like the, the LA Rams right now, And that's the position they're putting themselves in because they continue trading for established talent. And they have to pay those talents. And you don't have cheap guys waiting in the wings to step in and phase out and make economics decisions and keep your books balanced. This is how this team fell apart when Ricky retired on the eve of training camp in 2004. He said, yo, Dave Wonstadt, I am not going to let you run me into the ground with 450 carries again. I am out of here. And he retired and he was worried about his mental health. And he did a lot of things for self-preservation to take care of his own mental health. And then he ended up coming back and redeeming himself. And it was an all-time great, like this millennium dolphin story to see Ricky Williams come back from uh, the shell shock that he left so many fans with such a bad taste in in their mouths because he made the personal decision that was best for him. And then coming back and rushing for a thousand yards again for Miami, like it was really cool to see. But for the Dolphins to go that stretch of time with so little invested in the first round, like, people want to sit here and say the Dolphins haven't drafted well under Chris Greer? Chris Greer's drafted since 2016. His first round picks have been Tunsil, Harris, Fitzpatrick, Wilkins, and now Tua, Jackson, and Igg Brother Minka Fitzpatrick was named an all-pro player last year. It wasn't for the Dolphins, but that's not the point. You pick good players. (laughs) The Dolphins don't have a lot to show for it, but the movement and and departure of the Tunsels and Fitzpatricks is a byproduct of what has been a, a cultural, organizational problem for the Dolphins for a decade. The toxicity since Steven Ross took over, and everybody directly reports to Ross, so it's, he said, she said, well, he said, no, he said, well, he's wrong, and I'm right, so my job security shouldn't be at risk because the head coach is an adult who doesn't know what he's doing. Well, the general manager is not picking the right players for me, and... You know, we need a new general manager to pick the players that are going to fit my system, blah, blah, blah. I'm Joe and I can't handle any player with any authority, so I'm going to get rid of a bunch of talent. But we're not ready to say we're rebuilding, and we're ready to compete because we have a young quarterback who we've chosen to commit to. So let's just throw a bunch of money at the problem and hope that things get better, and we'll restructure all the contracts that we have and kick their guaranteed money down the road. And it got to the point where it was like so much stuff had gone wrong and been bad for so long that, like, we had to rip the Band-Aid off. And that's what we did in 2019. I think everybody's really excited about what the end result is going to be or what the the progress looks like it's going to be. But like you can't blame the Dolphins for not getting good ROI on Minka Fitzpatrick, although technically they got a year's worth of play and got an equal pick for what they picked for him. And Laramie Tunsil, they more than doubled their return on investment and got three years worth without having to pay him a big money contract. Chris Cruz at least picked good players. And now they have gone the total opposite in the direction of the structure, which has been a problem in Miami for quite a while. Early picks have not been in high volume for the Dolphins. I remember the year 08 and 09. 07, 08, 09. Dolphins had two second-round picks in each of those years. And in those years... They got Ted Ginn, John Beck, Samson, Satelli, Jake Long, Philip Merling, Chad Henney, Vontae Davis, Pat White, Sean Smith. Guys, even though there's a bust amongst all of those, John Beck, Chad Henney, Pat White, ignore the quarterback position apparently, Ted Ginn, Say what you will about Ted Ginn. Ted Ginn's still playing football. Ted Ginn has over 400 career receptions, over 30 career touchdowns, and almost 6,000 career receiving yards. Cam Cameron wouldn't have possibly known what to do with him, but you could have done worse than Ted Ginn. Samson Satelli, say what you will, played 118 career games. He was a starter for the Dolphins for a substantial amount of time. He played almost a decade. Jake Long, who knows what he would have been if the injuries didn't get in the way. Philip Merling, not very good, right? Played 50 games, no impact. Vontae Davis, 121 career games. Sean Smith, 137 career games. Guys combined for 36 total interceptions. Volume's important, and you don't have to look any further back than 97 to 2003 to see what that looked like when Ricky retired and the bottom dropped out, and how how ugly it got at the end of Dave Wonstadt's tenure with the Dolphins. And now look at what they're doing now to be really excited about what this can potentially become based on the law of averages that's going to come with them coveting high draft selections. And oh, by the way, we have four top 64 picks again next year. Those who do not learn from the past are doomed to repeat it. This is a very different approach for the Miami Dolphins than years past. And we should be very thankful for that. I'm very thankful for all of your listenership. This is going to do it for Locked On Dolphins. Brought to you by Built Bar. This is Kyle Krabs signing off. Listen, power to the pod tomorrow. Going to be soliciting your conversation points. It's your show. We're going to talk about what you want to talk about. So make sure your voice is heard. Reach out to me, either iTunes Reviews, preferably five stars. Or via Twitter. It's at LockedOnFins. I will be asking for your questions this afternoon. Kyle Krabs signing off. Thanks as always for listening to Locked On Dolphins.